Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you could do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. Joining me today, I'm happy to uh, have him on. He is an old friend. We've uh, been friends, I think. You might be getting close to like 20 years of friendship. Which, I think uh, it is. Which, yeah. which is pretty wild. Um, he's uh, this is the one of my. What's up? This is the anniversary. This would be the 20 year mark. Yeah, I think this I, is I, it. I didn't want you to think I forgot. That's oh, why no. I, I set up having you uh, on my podcast, which is the, the cheapest gift I can give to somebody to celebrate an anniversary. Nowadays, um, that's how you do it. Yeah. Well, for, for those of you who um, who might not recognize his voice, um, he's one of my favorite comedians on top of being um, a, uh, a good friend and a collaborator, too, who I've had the, the honor and the privilege of working with for um, on and off for 20 years. Yeah. Please welcome Harry Turjanian, everybody. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. The 20th year anniversary. It is 20 years since we met at uh, NYU. And near, yeah, in the, the comedy writing class is where we met, actually, that, ironically. That's right. And uh, just so you know, Harry, I've had Frank Morano on, who's also in that comedy writing class. Okay, yeah. I kind of vaguely and, remember Frank. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I've had the, the man himself, the legend, Barry Goldsmith. Wow. Barry. So I'm the third person from this writing class from 20 years ago that you had on your podcast. Yeah, it's it, it was hard to get everybody else because they're all dead. <laughs> There, wow! This cursed. Are you saying our comedy writing class at NYU is the equivalent of uh, Snoop Dogg's Pee Wee football team, where half of the half of the people there are either dead or in jail? Wait a second, please, uh, please expand on that. That's a real That's thing. That's a true story. Yeah, I, I forget if it was a true life, one of those things, some MTV documentary, and uh, and Snoop Dogg. I guess it might have been a factoid. They go half his Pee Wee football team, uh, as of today, is either dead or in jail. Wow. That was like half of his, yeah. Well, well I mean, that's him, what I remember. Yeah, him being so high profile, it it almost leaves open like that he's responsible for that in some way. Yeah, like no, I don't someone, think some weird butterfly effect, but it's Snoop Dogg, the Snoop Dogg effect. I mean, I don't think they're blaming him, but now that you bring it up, I mean, there might be a Netflix documentary in that. Yeah, it's it's so wild, like the. Uh, the amount of rappers or, you know, the, of, in the gangster rap genre mm. who went from being like gangsters to being, you know, like Snoop Dogg hangs out with like Martha Stewart or at least, you know, on TVs, he's, he's appeared with yeah. Martha Stewart. You know? Well, he did a Ice commercial Cube. with Lee Iacocca. If I remember. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Wait, he Iacocca like a- still around? I, this might have been a while ago. I don't know if it's a recent one, but if my memory was that he did a commercial with Lee Iacocca, these might all be uh, signs of dementia. I might just be making these things up. I don't know why I have well, so much bizarre Snoop remember, Dogg trivia. I remember hearing, uh, you know, Lee Iacocca's Pee Wee uh, football team. They all they all died in uh, uh, in World War II. They were all on the same right. boat. Yeah, that's they all true. They all, on D Day uh, <laughs> when they were invading Normandy. Exactly. They were all very brave. Um, and, and Lee Iacocca is the one who, uh, who made it through. Was he a car guy? Was he? Lee Iacocca was, uh, the founder of Chrysler, I believe. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So that's where, and I guess Snoop Dogg was doing commercials for Chrysler or something. I don't remember why that would be the only reason he would be in a commercial with Lee Iacocca is my memory. I might have that completely wrong. 
yeah. you could fact check that and it might come back. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is wild though. I do find it wild. Like those, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's a very weird world of celebrity where, you know, somehow those guys paths cross or like people think like, Oh, let's put these two people together and uh, you know, make something of it. Well, I do. It does speak to the ability in, in, in show business, given enough time, you can kind of really change your image and also how much you change it. I assume Snoop Dogg is not the same person he was 30 years ago where he's not uh, out on the streets and he's not. I don't remember the last time I ever heard of him getting in legal trouble. So right. you can change, you you know, at least you could. And back in the day, you were able to sort of change your image. You know, it's sort of the same thing like Mike Tyson is a some, you know, is a fun guy. Now we consider him fun, although I, I guess. After he punched that guy out in the plane, uh, we, we were we we Mike Tyson was sort of like a domesticated tiger that we forgot is still a tiger, and it was yeah. probably good that he beat up that guy on the plane to remind everybody he's still a, a dangerous man when he wants to be. Yeah, you know, with with Tyson, it, the, the, there's a number of things that I've noticed. Like for one, that there is that you know um, that change that's taken place, like in, in pop culture, where he is like seen less as a you know a dangerous man and more as kind of like a a teddy bear. And and a and a big thing is like people just seem to brush aside the fact that he was convicted of rape, you know. Like, yeah. So where where are we in in the you know the post? I don't. Know, I mean, it was you know we're in kind of like post Me Too movement, but it's like nobody really brings it up. I saw one one journalist. I, I don't even recognize the guy, but he he had brought it up and it, it obviously very, it, it offended Mike Tyson to have it, that brought up to Oh, I saw that interview. I think that was in Canada, ironically. It was, which, which they're usually a lot politer there, I think. Sometimes. Well, they're very anyway. polite, even even when they're bringing up you know, your Even when they bring up your, your rape conviction. Yeah, because he said uh, a lot of people are, are talking about you know, why they're allowing uh, somebody who's been a sex offender uh, to, you know, to perform. And he goes, nobody's bringing that up. You're the only one who's brought it up. You're the only one who's brought it up. No one has brought it up yet except you, which, you know, people do forget. So it's interesting. I think there's a couple things with the Tyson thing. One, I watched a documentary on that trial and um, there were some things that happened in that trial that are like uh, seem very, uh, I don't want to say one sided, but he kind of got railroaded and a lot of bad things, hiring the wrong lawyer for sure. Um, mm -hmm. It's I think there's some for some people, there's a little bit of ambiguity about the reality of what happened with that. Mm. that trial. Uh, but also I think enough time had passed and, and I don't think this can happen today anymore with the way we have social media, but if you're around long enough back in the day and you didn't, you know, commit your offense again, the public kind of is forgiving or they kind of move on from it, barring the fact that you are, have cleaned yourself up, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that exists anymore. I think that could happen back in the day where somebody could be, you know, you know, people, uh, people could rehabilitate themselves if they were, I guess, good enough or if they cleaned up their act, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other examples. They don't come to mind, but I know there's a bunch of, you know, different people who, you know, had been arrested. Did I mean, people did jail time back in the day and they were still able to, you know, get out of it and and come back out and rehabilitate their career. Yeah, and I remember I, you know, this happened a lot. I mean, it was a long time ago. I mean, we were, you know, kids at the time. And I remember just hearing rumors of, you know, the adults talking about uh, there was like one conspiracy theory that like Don King was behind it. Don King set him up. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, there was that. And then there was also just people not believing the uh, the victim and saying like, oh, she's obviously lying. There was a thing. Uh, and you, you saw the documentary. So, you, you know, you're you definitely more, yeah. you know, you're closer to it than, than I am. But I, I remember people arguing like the next day she went and did like, it was either like a dance competition or something or a performance. And it, and it didn't look like, you know, like on her right, face, right. like, like it anything bad had happened. You know? Well, you know, I don't remember. Here's the problem with me, Lou is I will watch and read things and I will, uh, you know, I'll do research and then I'll immediately forget the details about what led me to have the feeling or the facts. So I'll read things within the world. This is why I don't debate people either. Cause I'm lousy at it. It's the equivalent of always, uh, you know, when you get into a fight with somebody verbally and then mm -hmm. you leave and you're like, and the second you're driving home, you're like, God damn it. I forgot to say such as, Oh man, now I remember what I should have said and all that. Um, that's that's me like years later 
Like, like yeah. it'll pop up years later, and I'm like, oh, I, I yeah. have the best comebacks, the best. Comebacks. Oh, you'll do it years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm worse because I'll do it, but I'll do it at a 45 minute thing, right? I'll I'll remember stuff on the way home, so I can't go. Give me 45 minutes. I'll be right back with a retort, <laughs> and I'll explain why. Uh, you know, whatever you shouldn't buy cryptocurrency. That's not even a real one, but whatever. Like I'll explain. I, I, I have a great comeback for you, but yeah. I have to wait another year. It's going to take 21 years. Oh, jeez, the statute of limitations is yeah. going to run out. And that's but, how it, you know, just one more thing about like Tyson. I'm not saying we have to, you know, move on from it. Uh, I was snow, informed but. that this was a Mike Tyson podcast. Am I wrong <laughs> about that, Lou? I, I, you know, I've been I've been trying to get him on, but uh, I feel like now if he. If I was ever to get him on, and I think people would would now expect me, I would have a duty yeah. to bring up, you know, the rape conviction, right? And, and that's going to be rough. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be rough because can I bring it up like in a whisper, like at the <laughs> e at the end of it? But um, how do you make it casual? Because he's not going to bring it up, so yeah, it's not yeah. like you can. Yeah, hold. he doesn't lead with that, and and yeah. technically, isn't he supposed to? Isn't he supposed to bring it up every time he like moves to a new neighborhood or, or something I like that? I guess if he moves to the neighborhood. I don't know right. if that applies to appearances on uh, podcasts and yeah. uh, audio radio shows yeah. and what have you. But, you know, there's something like the myth, uh, the mythos of uh, Mike Tyson, which isn't just the way that he would pronounce mythos. I think that's also how, yeah. how you would pronounce it. But like people will not allow the warrior to just rest to just no longer be a warrior. Like the guys in his, in his fifties, I believe like approaching, uh, I don't know how, how far away from 60 he is. And people are still like, Oh, how would Mike Tyson do in the, you know, in a fight yeah, now against sure. like a, against like a 20 year old kid. Like, what do you, you know, what are you doing? And there's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's very odd where people just won't allow, you know, that to be over. Like no, no one's calling for like sugar Ray, sugar Ray Leonard to like, you know, start fighting. Well, again. It's interesting because I guess I don't. Uh, I guess it shows you maybe the popularity of Mike Tyson, even though he was only world champion once, I believe. Um, you know, he goes down and being remembered as one of the greats. But well, part of that also was it transcended sports in in the cultural phenomenon that it was. Maybe right. that's part of it. I mean, because Sugar Ray Leonard's certainly more decorated. He's certainly as far as he didn't do any jail time, so he didn't miss years of fighting. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I think part of it is it's just the, a, a celebrity and a phenomenon that happened with him, the whole story off out of boxing. So a lot of the times yeah. it's more interesting what the person's doing out of boxing. The fact that, you know, he did do jail time, the fact that he was getting into fistfights. And I don't know if this was a national story, but I do remember it being a local story when he would get into fistfights with uh, Mitch Blood Green in the, at Dapper Dan's in Harlem, uh, the clothing store. It was a popular clothing store and they were just uh, two boxers who got into a fist fight. And uh, so it was a lot of that stuff as well, him yelling at people. So it, it's weird in the sense that we pay attention to a lot more negativity than we do the positivity. Mm. And luckily he was able to sort of turn around that around into a, I guess, a more positive career in the sense his one man show was very good is appearing in the hangover films. So enough right. time had passed by that people look back nostalgically and he's willing to do it. So I don't know, but he's willing to fight a 20 year old kid. Who's, who's not a professional boxer, so to speak. Uh, oh, oh no, no, no. I, I, I mean like, like people, like people who are current, you know, boxers, like per, oh, current yeah. professional, they want to see like Mike Tyson continue to fight. And the, it's a similar thing that, ha that happens in, um, uh, in, mixed martial arts with, uh, Nick Diaz, who's one of the, the Diaz brothers is yeah, Nick and Nate Diaz. Diaz. And, you know, Nick is, uh, you know, taken off from fighting for years yeah. and it's, and, you know, for, uh, you know, a number of reasons of why, why, you know, why he's taken off from it, but like people just won't, they still want to see him fight. Yeah. Even, even though it's like, you know, maybe the guy is just done with fighting, you know, yeah. like, like, yeah. and it's like, allow that to be, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is to be a, you know a real athlete like that and having to like, you know, give it up or, to, or, you know, to, to reach that, you know, that level. But, you know, as an outsider looking in, like there are a lot of fighters who I'm just, I really want them just to be done with fighting. It's like you did everything. Well, Cause you love them too. If you understand right, yeah. the, the concept that, so there's a couple of things at play. I think with that one is our love of nostalgia. So it's the equivalent right. of going, man, I want to go see Well, Weezer, I guess is still around. They're still producing new music, but like, when you find out like Aerosmith's on tour or whatever, and you're like, we got to go see Aerosmith or uh, Paul McCartney's on tour. I want to see Paul McCartney. 
right? right? So you, because I loved his music when I was a kid or whatever. And so there is that. And I guess we still want that. It's just now, I think this is the first generation where fighters are actually doing it. Maybe because there's enough nutrition and enough science to to get them in a good shape where it might've been different to get into fighting shape in you know, 1985. Mm. Um, I think that's part of it. It's just our love and nostalgia and we're able to do it. You know, we, we just love the stuff that reminds us of when we were young. It's like, yeah, it's like, um, we want a reboot in human form in a way. Sure. Yeah. Know? You know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's just, uh, man, it would be great to get to watch. Like I'll never be able to watch Wayne Gretzky again. Right. You know, right? So that's my sport is hockey. I love it, right? So I'll never be able to see him again. But, you know, you can see Mike Tyson once. Uh, Ric Flair's coming back to fight, for God's sake. He's 75 years old. And wow. people will see it just so you can go, man, I got to see him do it one more time. I don't know. It's yeah. very strange because it's not going to be of quality, right? It can't right. be of quality. And it's not their fault as warriors. But you still want it, you know? It's kind of like, yeah, it's just for nostalgia. It's just to be able to relive that for a moment it's just an experience for a moment i guess yeah. which we all want that moment when we're younger because the when you're younger the world has so much more potential no matter how well you're doing now you know I've, i mean a lot of people wish they were young because they're not doing as great the best time of your life is when you have a chance that anything could happen right so right. uh that that was my whole feeling with the trump thing which was uh which a lot of people latched onto the uh, make America great again. And I, when you realize like when you ask people, when was, when America was great, a lot of it is like, well, when I was younger and I had, you know, you know, back, back in the old days, you're like the old days. Oh, you mean when you had a fuller head of hair and you didn't have erectile dysfunction and you you under, you understood the music, the music, you understood how to work your TV without getting frustrated. Yeah. That was yeah. when America was great when I was young and banging chicks. <laughs> yeah. You you brought up uh, uh Gretzky and um yeah. my my brothers, we had a VHS documentary about Ooh, okay. Wayne Gretzky going to the Soviet Union to pl- to play against and with um uh Trechiak, the uh, okay, greatest yeah. um the, the great Soviet uh goaltender and possibly the greatest goaltender you know um in in hockey, in hockey history. history yeah um yeah, to be fair my knowledge of hockey ends around 1996 right so right. I, I don't really know you know how how great the guys are now but that was a documentary we used to we used to pop in just all the time to watch um yeah to watch these two well also when you're a kid uh well and actually when we were kids see i keep doing it when, when you were right, a kid right. No, it's not the same because when we were kids, there was a very limited supply of entertainment. So mm. if you built up a VHS collection, which was not easy to do because it wasn't like, you know, you can't just order everything online. You'd have to go to a store and pick it up and you mm. can only amass so much. You'd watch the same thing 27 times. I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off maybe 100 times because I taped it off the TV. Right. I wouldn't even say it. It's probably not even in my hundred favorite movies, but for whatever reason, I had a copy of it. So as a kid, I would watch it over and over again. And now we're kind of the opposite where there's so much stuff out there that you watch stuff once and then you're done with it. You know, like I would listen to comedy albums over and over and over again. And now when somebody releases a special, I listen to it once while I'm doing something else, not fully paying attention. And then I never, even if I like it, I never go back to it again. Mm. It's strange. Yeah. I, I, I recently rewatched, um, which probably my, I think it's probably my favorite movie, uh, Groundhog Day. Okay. That, that might be, that might be my, my favorite movie, comedy or drama, just, you know, Interesting. Uh, like it. and, um, we were watching and this is a movie I've seen, you know, so many times. Um, and my, my wife and I, Michelle and I were talking about, was this like the last movie where everybody in it looked normal? Like you mean just the background players? No, no. Like, like even like the the main, the main, like it was, um, Bill Murray, Chris Elliott, um, uh, Andy McDowell, who's, who's a beauty. But she's like right. a norm. She's like a she's normal a girl next door. She's girl right. next door, beautiful. Yeah, exactly. she's not Hollywood starlet. Like, yeah, yeah. And no, I get what you're saying. And everybody in Punxsutawney looks like they live in Punxsutawney. I believe it. 
You know, it's yeah. funny. I'll watch movies, right? Because I have like body dysmorphia image issues because I've been fat all my life. So I will watch these movies. Uh, there's two movies I remember. I remember watching Superman versus Batman or whatever, which was pretty rough. And spoiler alert, uh, there's a funeral scene. I'm not going to tell you who doesn't make it, but you could figure it out. Um, and so there's a big, all of uh, Metropolis or whatever is mourning the death of this superhero. And I go, not one fat person in Metropolis? Not one person <laughs> has, you know, insulin issues? Not one is? Not one. They're all like rail thin people. And then you watch like Jaws, right? <laughs> you watch the people who are the reporters in Jaws. And it's just people with comb overs and mismatched shirts. and But they're real people. Yeah. Right. Because if you've ever done a, if you have, you've been on, you've been part of press conferences, you've been on the other end of a press conference where you see like the, the journalists and people, they're not glamorous, beautiful people like all the time on camera, maybe, but like reporters are schlubby because they're writers. Right. Mm. So it's funny but, that we don't show that in movies anymore at all. So you're right. That's an interesting theory. Like it might've been the last one where even the stars back in the day, we're not glamorous. Yeah, all the time. I, I'm thinking about yeah, like you brought up Jaws. It's like, was it Roy? Was it Scheider? Roy Scheider? Yeah, Roy Scheider and um, uh, what's his name? Mr. Holland's Opus. I can't. Um, Richard Dreyfus. Richard yeah. Dreyfus, and then uh, uh, the Irish guy. With the, Quint, I forgot what his name was. Oh yeah. man, I know his name too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they're not none of them. I think Roy Scheider is the best looking of the bunch. I would say from my. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not like there's no Channing Tatum. There's no abs. There's not an ab to be found in the movie Jaws. Like well, not one. Well, also it's it. Uh, you've definitely seen the, seen this meme before, where they'll have like Tom Cruise at age fifty and Wilford Brimley at oh age God. fifty and <laughs> from, Cocoon. from Cocoon. Yeah, and and I mean it's just a it's a world, a galaxy of difference. And a Vagoda or Mickey Rooney. And you go, oh, Mickey Rooney's playing somebody's grandpa. And I think Dana Carvey just did the other, the other day. He goes, he's playing my grandfather. He goes, he's 63 in this. He goes, <laughs> he looks like he's 80, but he was only yeah. 63. Yeah. And, yeah. And you like, didn't have to work out. You didn't have to work out. And I guess you're having what whiskey lunches. Is that what's oh, sure. Know? Cigarettes. Uh, yeah. You, you drink whiskey and cig uh, cigarettes and a steak would be your lunch until you died of colon cancer. Like the Duke, right. like John Wayne. And, that's and that it. was it, yeah. you know? And um, yeah, that's, it's, you're right about that. I think friends also messed that up a little bit when they did mm. friends, that kind of was like a big thing or like six, quote unquote attractive people in one show and they all just happen to be funny and the chemistry is good on it you know it's I, I like it all right and it just happens that they're all talented people but the thing that the industry controls is like well i can't figure out what's funny i don't know anything about funny i can't guarantee but what i can guarantee is that the people are going to be good looking mm. right that's all i can guarantee yeah well i'll tell you what man you know uh for, the, for those of you who are just listening uh head over to YouTube and I think rumble and wherever else you can be able to see this. Harry has got an amazing hair that oh, he's geez. had. You've had <laughs> since, well, I don't know. It's, I think it's been, you've always had great hair. I think it's been well, looking better as, as you've gotten older, as you've gotten closer to, are you 40 I'm, yet? I am turning 40 this year. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. As you, as you get, as you're getting closer to 40, like oh, I think your hair has been looking like better than ever. Well, I'll tell you what I've learned how to, it's some, with wisdom comes age. Uh, with age comes wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just learning how to comb it better. But plus also I will confess that it's medically enhanced. Like I take uh, Propecia. I started oh. losing it in my early twenties. Like it was going real quick. And uh, thanks to medical science, I put a stop to that early with Propecia. So I kept it. And I do have a little bit of a divot and a bald spot back there that I comb. Not nothing major. Yeah. I have you know. it being self-deprecating. Stop self-deprecating and it's let's glamorous. get Propecia. Let's get Propecia to fucking sponsor this show. Yeah, man. Because yeah, look it, at this head of hair. Because it works, man. It's it's working. It's working for you. I have a my brother had a good friend named Gabe who we went to high school with. Yeah. And um uh Gabe's a Puerto Rican kid, and when he was in high school, he always shaved his head, right? And then right. finally, when he got older, like say, like you know, into his thirties, he let his hair grow out, and his hair is fucking beautiful. Like 
you got great hair, Harry. Um, you oh, know, I already, you. already said that. Right. Gabe is another fucking level. He's at like, another level. He had gorgeous. beautiful hair. And everybody's like, oh my God, you wasted all those fucking years, you know, shaving your head, you know, when you could have, you when know, you could have had a full head of hair. Dude, well, uh, maybe you maybe you could have played a professional sport just because they're, they're like, look, he's, he's not that good, but his hair is so good. The marketing that, would know. be great, phenomenal. Yeah, well, it's it. that Seinfeld episode. You ever see that? Are you a Seinfeld guy at all? You remember? No, no, but I, I I've met enough people who only speak in Seinfeld references. Yeah, so well, there's this. Maybe I'll get it. Uh, there was an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine was dating this guy. He was in great shape, and he's a swimmer, so he would shave his head. And he showed her her driver, his driver's license. He showed it to her and he had a full head of hair. She's like, oh, my God, you got a full head of hair. He goes, yeah, that was years ago, though. She goes, oh, my God, you should grow that back. He goes, yeah. And so after years of being bald, he grows it back. But as he grows it back, he, uh, it's coming in in patches because he has lost his hair. So now <laughs> he becomes depressed because he's going bald. <laughs> Even though he was he's bald. Been, he's been bald, he's been bald but the notion that he is now non-voluntarily bald uh it messes him up and so that's a good episode of seinfeld it's just for you seinfeld heads out there it's worth it guys it's worth it that's right you know speaking about you know uh kids nowadays being able to you know see anything they want i, I know that seinfeld's available in full on netflix and i've tried to start from the beginning yeah and, and get through it but i i just i don't know if i have the time or uh, like the first episodes don't seem as like they really yeah it's not ready yet yeah don't, i don't yeah. do that see now as i get older i don't waste my t- if there's a show that uh, i want to get into i will start unless it's something where uh, like a serial thing where i have to watch it like a breaking bad i start at season uh two and a half i'll go two and a half in because <laughs> that's when the writers figure out the characters and move on like i don't got time for you guys to go mm-hmm. through the growing pains and figure it out like you know, life is too short. So I start season two and a half or three. And then if I really love it, then I'll go back and start at season one. Because I don't yeah, need to see the pilot episode where the character is yeah, different. Like, and- it's a lot. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, um, the last time you checked out season one, it's a lot of stand up. It's oh, season a lot. One? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of Jerry Seinfeld doing. Well, the whole idea of the show originally was the idea. The concept was how does a comedian figure out the material that they're doing? Right, so it was sort of like yeah. a backwards version of that. But uh, was there was there ever another show where where the main character like was a stand up comedian? And it was like I remember George Carlin had a show, but he was a taxi driver. Like he yeah, wasn't. I don't, he wasn't like yeah. George Carlin. You know? I don't remember him. I'm trying to think of who else was a stand up. They rarely work, by the way. Things about right. stand up are usually terrible. Mostly. Yeah. Because they hire people who are not stand-ups to do stand-up. And there's nothing worse in the world. I try to watch The Marvelous Mrs. Uh, Maisel or whatever. Mm. And I, I couldn't do it. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad show. But for me, like if you were a plumber, you look at a show about plumbing. Which is coming out this fall, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Amazon Prime. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, wait till season two and a half. Yeah. So so. You wait. We're, there's a lot of growing pains. There's a lot yeah. of growing pains. Uh, a lot of changes. But usually shows about stand-up are so terrible because they don't let people who – they only give so much room to people who have done stand-up to do it. So right. a lot of people who aren't – who are actors that play stand-ups that are terrible at it. Uh, the writing of the jokes is horrendous when it's written by people who don't – they, they don't – they're doing their impression of stand-up. So it's pretty rough. I don't right. remember another one other than Maisel where the, the main character is a stand-up, you know. Yeah. I, I had a um... – this guy a, couple, a few years ago, um, I'm not going to say who, who he was, but um, he has like a, a job in, in the in the business, in showbiz, you know, a yeah. very important job. Like uh, right. the role that he plays is very important. And uh, he had reached out to me because we had, we had met and he, and he had a, uh, uh, he had like a couple of ideas for shows that he had talked to me about. And, and I, I said, yeah, you know, send it my way because of, you know, sort of the stature that this guy had. And I read both of them. And one of the things that I'm incapable of doing when I'm giving notes is holding back, like what Ooh, I yeah. think about what, you know, what you're doing. And one of his shows, remember, I, mine, I read like two, two scripts. One of his shows had dealt with a uh, stand up comedian who, like, is 
an addict and goes back to um, the family business or like that. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to give too much away because I don't know what, you know, what's going on with, you know, maybe it, maybe it's being made right now. I don't know. And, uh, you know, finally we get to see the main character do some standup and my God, the, all the scene directions are like, people are cracking up. People are laughing, like laughing, you know, they're falling out of their chairs. They're doing, doing all this. And it's like, that's nah, not how it works. Nah, 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 no, not not with that material. Oh, the, the, oh there's not no way. There's a disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron Sorkin. Disconnect. I remember Aaron Sorkin tried to do his version of Saturday. He did a drama that was supposed to be about Saturday Night Live, called uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which I think came out. It was on the. It was one of those weird things where it was on the NBC schedule at the same time that they were also doing Thirty Rock. So there were two shows about SNL, oh, sort of, in the long way. Yeah. One was the Tina Fey comedy, 30 Rock, and the other one was the drama Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And it was, uh, the comedy was just bad. Like, it was really, really bad comedy. Because Aaron Sorkin writes everything himself, but he's not a a funny person, right? And uh, maybe Mm -hmm. he thinks he is or whatever. Um, But it was just rough. And you just go, Jesus, just, you got to have the humility to pass this to somebody and go. Well, well, that's what I said. That's why I said yeah. to this guy, I said, I said, you should really, you know, find a, a female stand-up comic who you like and try to, you know, partner and have them have her right. write this material, you know? Um, you know, there's, I mean, there's tons of, you know, comedians. How, out how there did that, that go over? How do they take that? Cause some people can't handle it. I don't think I, you know, I could probably find the email and maybe I'll look it up at, at some point, but um, there might've been like a thank you. Like that's oh, it. right. Yeah. And, and also thank you for it, the notes. Th- thank you for the notes. And it's like, you know, I spent, you know, I spent some time on this, uh, on this shit. I gave right. you really good notes, dude. Right. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, that, that, you know, that, that, that's something too. And, you know, I could bring this, you know, back to like, you know, us working together, uh, over the oh, yeah. years where, I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, if you disagree with me, but I'm, I'm always of the mind of, whatever makes it better like oh dude, sure. if, you, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you if you're like now i'm gonna let me rewrite this whole thing if it makes it better do it go for yeah. it yeah yeah i mean you i learned a lot writing and collaborating with you in those writer rooms that we did that uh you know and part of it is you have to be able to if you're in charge of it have the humility to go you want the best product right and then on the other end, also creatively, you have to go, sometimes it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. And, you know, the, you have to be able to let it go to whoever's controlling it. So there has to be a balance of being willing to go, whatever makes this better. And then sometimes creatively as an artist, you go, man, my way is better though. But that's what you believe because it's inside of you or you picture it differently versus what someone else does. But I, you were always great with assigning, I mean you also understood that what you were trying to do was do a lot more and you were able to do a lot more and get a lot more done because you were willing to parcel it out to other people and trust other people. One of my favorite things that I ever wrote was something you assigned to me, which doesn't happen all the time. Like uh, it was the coming to America documentary. Right. That's right. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> yeah. To, to give, yeah. To give everybody, uh, you know, just a, a little bit of background. Um, this was uh, coming to America classic uh eddie murphy arsenio yeah. hall film my favorite comedy of all time yeah it um before they did coming to america you know the, the sequel, sequel to it yeah um i had had this idea years back where i had written about you know basically what would zamunda be if it was like a, a run-of-the-mill african monarchy you know they'd be dealing with some really crazy shit like they'd be dealing yeah. with like aids they'd be dealing with famine they'd be dealing with all this yeah. stuff what so are the what real if life the, consequences of running right. a yeah yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I an African monarchy yeah exactly and um so i had written that up as sort of like a blog like satirical blog entry and then years later when i was um uh producing stuff uh, for we the internet tv i had that idea oh what if i made that into a into a video and i gave it to I, I assigned it to harry basically and like we kind of went over jokes in the room and all that but he really yeah. you took it and ran with it 
just I mean, you know, I was just so happy to I mean, I love that movie, so I was just able to watch it. First, it was nice it was just an excuse also to watch the whole movie again. Right? right. But it was just a great premise, the idea of like, you know, it's a very smart premise and a very fun premise of taking something that's fun and lighthearted and then making it dark and grim. And what are the real life consequences of this quote unquote love story? And but the, the whole concept of it is a great idea, but you go rather than hold on to it because I'm not gonna have time to do this, let me and it takes a lot of trust to hand over. Like wasn't I mean you pitch some general ideas and some some jokes and stuff for the most part you gave me that whole, all that freedom to do it now when i bring it back there's going to be rewrites and things and there's going to be chunks of it that i go man i wish that had stayed in but then there's also pieces that come that man i wouldn't have thought of that on my own and that to me is the most fun part of the writing process is when i love it when someone else thinks of something that i wouldn't have thought of on my own Mm-hmm. Or I'm op- I'm always open to going, hey, I don't love this ending. I love the premise of this. I don't love this sketch. If anyone has a better way to end this, please let me know. But you have to be able to put it aside. And it's just, it's interesting because sometimes certain things make it in that you go, man, I'm surprised that one made it in out of all the things they kept. I had so many other funnier things. And then sometimes the one that made it in, which everyone loved, and I still... It was, uh, for whatever reason, I, I had them doing a free, the Zamunda Freedom concert. I don't remember why I did that. I guess they spent a lot of money. I was just trying to find ways that, like, things that happen in these other... Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, while while the people are starving, you know, they bring, you know, all these bands from the 80s uh, Oh, you know, I know perform. what it was based on. It was actually based on boxing. That premise in my head was the um, the Ali, uh, the Ali Foreman fight that took place in Zaire. Right. Mm. And they spent a lot of money. And the idea was they go, you know, people spend money on wars to get this type of publicity. So they were willing. They're not a wealthy, wealthy country, but they're willing to spend that money to get that fight because they thought it would be good publicity for the country. And so that's what it was based on those those like concerts. So I had them, you know, and I had the people as them being upset that Paul Simon was there. For some reason, <laughs> and the joke well, that you love from yeah. it is that they they're angry. They go, Paul Simon, his music is too slow to be fast and too fast to be slow. I <laughs> <laughs> like, out of all of them, that one sticks. I'm like, man, that one slid through. You know, they're all your little babies. And you go, well, I'm, I'm proud of all of them, but yeah. You know, it's- well, it it took it, it you know it, it it took a while for me to definitely be able to you know give up control of of stuff and and delegate, but. You know, ultimately, it's like if you're trying to produce, you know, content every week. I mean, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have to do that, and you know, in yeah. some in some capacity. And um, but my, you're also f- gr- great with not needing to put your stamp on it too, because some people can do that, but some people have an ego where they have to change stuff just to make sure that they put their whatever mitts on it, so to speak. Even like I said, even sometimes when it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. You know, someone will take out a joke and put a joke that's just the sort of the same thing or even lesser than just because it's their joke, you know, and yeah. you didn't have that ego, which I always respected. Yeah, there was this one uh, this one time we were in L.A. and I invited um, uh, another like comedian to into a like kind of a writer's room get together in, in L.A. And uh, it was supposed to be two days. And I. Uh, I canceled the second day just to make sure that. <laughs> He wasn't going to be there because uh, it was just, he just wasn't, he wasn't getting, it was like, it was like, no man, I don't want to do your idea. It's not right. like a joke yeah. or something. It's like, I don't want to do your idea. These are the ideas we're going to do. Right. And like, yeah, you know, I know what you're saying, but you know, thing with my idea is we could do that. It's like, you're not getting it. Right. Uh, and also it's yeah. like, I'm, you know, I'm paying you like, you know, a day rate and, and all that. Like, yeah. Uh, but it, it is taking funny. care of people too. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting too because there's a balance of fighting for your idea a little bit, but you also have to understand that, especially when you're working for somebody else, that you know their vision is gonna play out. You know, and you have to be able to separate that, and you have to be able to accept that challenge too. Of like, all right, this is not what I intended to write. And look, some there were there were times for sure where I had a, a different direction entirely for something that I had either pitched or or was assigned to me, where I go. I would come up with one thing and you'd go, well, I like that, but I really would prefer this angle. And I, and you'd explain why. And I'd have to go, you know what? I mean, and I knew enough to know, like, look, he knows what I'm doing. He just doesn't agree with it necessarily. You're, you're funny enough to know like what I was going for, 
but also this is the direction of something I, I want to go go with. You have to know, like, all right, yeah, that's this is what my job is. And, and also, you're balancing different, you know, I, you know, me being in that position, like as a as a producer yeah. and head writer for for We the Internet. You know, while a lot of people think like, oh, Lou, that was you know your thing. It's like, no, I I was the face of it and like the right. voice, and I and I and I you know, really, um, you know, brought things together with a point of view and all that. But ultimately, you know, there's a tone and, and all that, that I have to answer to, I had to yeah. answer to higher ups, you know? So I, and there's you know, a branding I, thing too, of a style, sure, a certain exactly. style you're going for, or certain yeah. things that you have to deal with advertisers or yeah, like the higher up of what they expect out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also what they're willing, you know, to put out there. And, uh, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, Harry played, uh, a character in two of my favorite uh, videos oh, that I, geez. I watch these videos like multiple times a year. And it, it pretty much every time I watch them, I end up texting Harry and say like, dude, <laughs> I'm watching this video again. Harry plays a gambler, Harry. And in the first video, he's betting on a high school basketball game. And it's a high school basketball game where it's like the fourth quarter. There's like five minutes left. And, and the one team, uh, puts in their uh, their uh, you know kind of equipment manager who has autism. And, yeah, and, one of those feel good stories that you'd see uh, on Sports Center, like you know, like exactly. But Harry's character, the gambler, has money on this game. Yeah, and is so pissed off that this autistic kid is fucking it up for him. Yeah, and again, I don't hate him because he's autistic. I hate the fact that he's ruining my chance to, if I remember in the first video to win a round trip bus tickets to Orlando for me and my girlfriend to go to and Disney kid, world and from kid. Rochester and her kid and her kid who's not my kid, my stepson. But again, the, what I, one of my favorite things in comedy is the real life consequences of something that's feel good and, you know, and wholesome. And, and yeah, and the, and the, the, and follow-up. The, the follow-up is Harry the Gambler is betting on um on high school girls wrestling. Yeah. And, and this one where the where this one he thinks he's got it made. And and, and he turns around and they put in uh, uh a a transgender uh wrestler who uh is uh, a, a born a female uh, going to to male and has undergone uh, testosterone. No, yeah, the other way, right? I thought it was the other way. It was no, born, no, no, no. born a male. No, no, no. It's a, no, no a, a, a girl transitioning to uh, the boy. So like taking like oh, testosterone. Yeah. And, right, and, right, um, right, right. And and that blows uh, Harry's sweet dreams of, of getting a plasma screen TV. A flat screen. I wanted a flat screen TV so that finally my girlfriend and her, her son would respect me. Yeah, would, would be wanting to watch TV at my place instead of the standard definition TV, which I. Have. Yeah, and I'm I'm telling you, these are two of my fucking videos to be part that, of that and, second one. I I think is going to be hard for people to find. I think the uh, the, I, the I, company has subsequently uh, unlisted that one. I think you can find it. It's a little bit of a deep dive, but the second one was too much for them. I think because they're trying to uh, quote unquote go mainstream, so they go. We don't want one, even though it's not making fun of trans athletes at all. It's making right. the joke is on the gambler who's such an addicted gambler that he cares <laughs> nothing about what this situation is, other than it is ruining his. He is the unluckiest gambler in the world. But people, unfortunately, don't know the difference between right. referencing a subject and then making fun of it. So, yeah, you know. So, for those of you who are looking for it, if you can find it, I, I don't think you could find it on, on YouTube. You might be able to find it on Facebook. Um, if you put in Be the Internet TV, the first one is like never bet against the autistic kid, which is fantastic advice. And yeah. then, and then the other one is, is never bet against trans athletes. Um, and if you could find it, you guys will enjoy it. Uh, you'll enjoy it so much. If anybody finds a link to it, uh, you know, please, uh, you know, listed in the, in the comments. I'll see if section. I have them. I'll, I'll send it. I'll either post it in the comments or I'll send it to you. Maybe you can post it or whatever, but cool. Yeah. Cause I, but, it, it, I, yeah, like I think the writing is so good on it and Harry's performance is so good. And, uh, Greg, our, our, our mutual friend, uh, Greg Burke, Greg my Burke, yeah. comedy partner, he, uh, 
directed and, and edited it and and that was my uh, my favorite portion of doing that gambling the first one was halfway through while we're filming it i i go wait 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 a minute is he beating what did he bet on here because if we look at the actual because it's based on an actual event that happened i go wait are they putting him in the game because the score is out of hand because they're they're out of the game or are they up so much? I go, then we have to determine who he's, did he bet the spread? Then we're trying to figure and out, wait, it, no, no, no. He's betting it, against and thank, the spread. Yeah, yeah, thank God, you know, and thank God, thank God you were in it. And uh, Luke Spolino was, um, he was interning at the time and, and also working with me on, on like developing like That's ideas right. and, and stuff. He was a bit of a, he was a bit of a gambler. So he yeah, knew. So, so thank God you and Luke were there and Greg, because Greg knows sports. You, you, you know, sports and gambling Luke. Well, you know, yeah. as well, because, because I would, because I think I wrote, I wrote that first script and I was just kind of like, I, I don't I, like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It occurred to me. I go, they got to ruin. So we wanted to be factually accurate about this piece where this guy's screaming at this autistic kid. To somebody <laughs> break his Foul that autistic Foul. kid. Break his legs. If you have to break his legs. And then I'm upset people are giving me dirty looks. <laughs> They're giving me the look. I'm not he the one drained. who just let up. Yeah, he trained. He, like six three-pointers. What the fuck? Oh, but, man. Uh, yeah, that one was one I, I was lucky to just be cast, and you guys thought of me. And then I was asked to write the second one. You just go write up another one of those. And I go, all right. What's was the that next one? Was that, yeah, was, um, uh, I think you and uh, Brandon uh, Basham worked on uh, – Worked on that one. Brennan had a great line about um, about benzos. Um, oh, benzo! Yeah, I got kicked off the bowling team. Snorting benzos. Snorting benzos. Yeah, but that fuck. was another one. I don't remember if it was given to me with that, or I had to to figure out what we. I I, had, I think I figured out that it was a trans athlete was the way to go. I was trying to figure out what you would do with the second I'm, one. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I and, think and we, I, 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 I wish matter. we could. I mean, we could very well, you know, it, you know, ha- write another one. It, it, it was sort of like at that point, it's like, oh, right, you got the autistic kid, you got the trans athletes. Like, what do you, what do you got next? I mean, what can I you thought really? Thought about it. I'm trying to figure out what the third beat of this, or how you heighten it, or what, what would be the equivalent. It has to be something that kind of happens in real sports, right? And I, yeah. I think I kicked around a couple in my head because I, I think once in a while you mentioned that if you have one, I was trying to think the 9/11, you know, the. The Yankees and whatever after 9-11 where George Bush throws out the first pitch was one. It has to be something where he's just so blissfully unaware of reality and is just focused right. on this game that he's losing, you know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, man, yeah, it was it was just it was a lot of fun doing it because you, when you work with smart, funny people, it's it's the fucking best. It's the yeah. best. Yeah. That, that's why, you know, when I like I, I watch – when I watch like comedy, I'm like, look, you know, you know, comedy is, you know, it's hard, but it's not yeah. that hard. And I see like, you know, people with like a lot of money and a lot of, a lot of budgets. And I'm like, God damn, man. Like you guys not are just wasting well, it. So, well, um, you know, the thing is this, it's, it's an interesting um, balance that the comedy to me, I think comedy is hard, right? I look at it. Mm. It is, is hard. Here's how hard stand up comedy is. Other comedians oh, yeah, can't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I guess you're speaking comedy in general. But uh, yeah, but, I'm, I'm talking from the from the point of like producing a an episode of a show, producing a sketch, you know, that like the, you know, especially if you have well, money. I like tell you it's sort of like inexcusable if you have you know if you have a lot of money. Behind. But having a lot of money doesn't mean that it's good creatively. We see films all the time, sure. but there's also a lot of people who uh who get in the way of that sort of stuff, getting in the way of the creative like Look, nobody, um, nobody grows up as a kid and goes, man, you know what? I want to be a movie executive when I grow up, right? <laughs> nobody goes, I want to be a network executive. Nobody goes, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be in casting, just my heroes in the movies. It's right. usually people who failed at the creative part. And it's ironic because they work their way up in the business part. So now these are people who failed at the creative part. And now they're going to dictate what is done in the creative part. So there's probably a lot of things. We all know friends who are really talented friends who never get the break, you know, Mm. or you go, that person is so much funnier or that show was so much funnier than this other thing that got the mainstream, 
press. So yeah. unfortunately, some of it is that the people with the most money aren't always the most the, the cleverest people. I know from doing stand up, the people who are the best at producing shows and stuff uh, are seldom the best comedians ever. That, that's almost never the case. In fact, it's almost another always, skill. Yeah, it's, yeah skill. it's a completely other skill. And it's almost uh, the opposite because the people who put their energy into producing don't always put their energy into writing and creating. Right. Mm. So that's also part of it, man. You know, not you everyone's know, got money. Something I've always, I've always noticed with um, producers of, uh, of stand up shows. And, you know, I, I produced a, you know, a couple of uh, in New York and in an LA small stuff is whenever you're producing the show and say, you don't have like a good turnout. You're yeah. so apologetic to everybody. Like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, like, yeah. it's a small, it's a small crowd. I hope you're okay. And the comedians are always like, Hey, it's cool. Don't worry about it. No, this should be fun. Yeah. And it's this, I'm the same way when it's reversed, when I'm not producing, when I'm on, when I'm booked on the show and I go and the yeah. producer's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's a small crowd and all that. I'm like, yeah, it's cool, man. It's, it's yeah. cool. Let's have a, let's have a good time. Um, so yeah. It's, it's sort of, you know, being, the, being able to handle those added pressures, you know, or. Uh, yeah. It's uh, a different skill set entirely. But again, like I've seen people with great production. There's nothing worse to me than someone who has like a, a really good budget. Well, that's why sometimes SNL is tough, right? <laughs> like uh, where you watch. Like you these, you these- built this set. It's like you built this I mean, freaking set, man. So yeah. many people worked on that. So many people right. were. I remember they did a sketch one time where they built an escalator so that the escalate people could get stuck on the escalator. And then it became like an adventure film where they were stuck on the escalator. And you just go, in my head, from, you know, you're a production guy or whatever, any, in the sense of like anytime you have to film something, you go, all right, you have to figure out how to do it from the ground up. And you realize, do you know how many people had to work on an escalator? For this mm. sketch to air at twelve fifty five, that is getting zero laughs, <laughs> right? And you just yeah. go, "Damn, man!" Like just or a film shoot, you know. And then sometimes yeah. it works out great, you know. I mean, I remember they did that Oscar the Grouch parody that was a Joker parody or whatever, right? Right. And they did it almost shot for shot, and you go, "Oh, okay, that was really cool. That is amazing that they have the budget to do that." And then other times you go, "This is involves so many union crews." Uh, I mean, yeah. just so many people. Well, and I'm glad. It seems like glad they they working. They, they do the. It seems like they do the like film parodies very well. Like they're able yeah. to really match. They're able to match the tone and. Um, and I, and I wonder that. if part of that is that they have to really. Uh, I guess because you have to go out and film it, there's locations and stuff. Maybe they're a little choosy with how they do that, as opposed mm-hmm. to the sketches in the building where they're like, yeah, if it's here. I mean, they did one with Lizzo where they that they had 20 i want to say 20 people dressed up as a six flags guy just doing that dance right that dance that was really the premise of it and and i know what that was that was people tired at three o'clock in the morning trying to write and giggling going what it wouldn't it be hilarious if we just had 20 of these six flag guys just dancing and it's funny in that moment and then you put it on like uh and yeah. somehow it makes it through dress through the read through makes it through dress rehearsal and it's on national this, tv this really old reference uh, it, robbie yeah. robbie sublet played him in uh, i one do of the remember Hammercats robbie sketches. sublet yes yeah so, so those, yeah i mean robbie's a fantastic uh actor um we we um uh, so harry and i were, were members of the the Hammercats at nyu which is a uh, group that is still going uh, actually and um, we used to we we did basically what Mr. Show would do which is combine stage um, uh, performance with uh, film stuff so it was it was, uh, it was never a lights up light down lights down production it was always um, one thing rolling into one sketch rolling into the other one and uh, and one of the uh, one of the sketches, Robbie plays the old man at Six Flags. I don't know what, the, what his name is. And he's like dancing, whatever. And he lures um, uh, Matt Sadowitz. And, and I don't Steven know if it was, Stout. Was it Matt it was, and Steven? Okay. That's my memory of it, was Matt and Steven Stout. Yeah. Uh, he lures them into, uh, into a van. Cause by they're, dancing. Cause they're all, by all dancing having and, fun. And, and they're, they're going to go to Six Flags. They're going with this guy. So they go in the van. And then uh, the, the music's playing. Uh, guts the van door, the 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 back doors. He locks the, the van cuts door. Out. 
locks him and then uh robbie just like walks uh, you know walks uh, around you know to go to the front of it and just like spits and it's one of the it, it's I, I'm, I'm thinking about it now like, i don't know if it's available anywhere to watch it but it's so dark when he, once he spits so on the on, yeah. on the on the concrete. and then he rips he starts ripping the the mask off i mean it's this was before he's so, ledger yeah. the joker type it's that level of like he's no longer having fun and uh and but also in all fairness we did that that was when the commercial was airing. So <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we didn't wait for Lizzo to fucking pop up Two at a, decades uh, after the fact. Yeah, well, they, where, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it was, that was well, a genius sketch group, man. It was uh, so. To, to, this ties into your you being me meeting you, right? And this is a little bit of ego on my part, right? So I met you, and I liked you instantly. We were both New York guys, and we both had a goofy sense of humor in this this comedy writing class and then you i don't remember if you told me you were auditioning for this sketch team called Hammercats, right and i and in my head i go i don't want to man i'm a stand-up i had already been doing stand-up at that point like yeah. i would like two years in new york city nightclub and i go man i don't want to do no lame comp you know and uh no lame uh college comedy group where we do skits and goofy sketches like this is gonna be lame and Lou had auditioned and made it on the team. And, uh, and Lou invited me out to see the show. And I went out to see the show. And the show was so good. And it was mm. like so good, like beyond a college level. I go, oh, my God, this is like professional production level stuff. Like it's well written. It's structured properly. The acting is good. I go, I made a horrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Lou. I go, when are they doing auditions again? For the love <laughs> of God, I need to be part of this. I need to be part of this. And then. I think the next semester or whatever, I did audition and, and got in. And to this day, I think it's the only audition that I've ever done and gotten. <laughs> like, and uh, that I've got, yeah, that I that I got all the way through it. I've gotten callbacks and stuff. But, uh, you know, not to brag, humble brag. I've gotten callbacks. So, I mean, you know, I'm in the biz a little bit. <laughs> I know but, what a callback is, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, so. I've heard uh, of them. So, but it was that, like, that was such a cool group. And we we're very lucky to have been part of that. It was just the right place, right time. Like a lot of talented people, including a uh, childish Gambino, aka Donald yeah, Glover, yeah. who was brilliant even yeah. back then. Yeah, I mean, when um, uh, yeah, I wasn't on the on the team the first semester that it existed. I think it was on like technically like the second semester, um, either the second semester or the second year. That that's when I joined up, and uh. I mean, all of that, the professionalism and all that is due to um, the founder and director, A.J. Morales. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, most yeah. definitely. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to A.J. Uh, in a while, but you know, when it comes to, you know, to Hammercats, I mean, he's the reason why uh, we were as good as, as we were. And, uh, and also, you know, we were dark, really dark. Like yeah. a lot of the comedy that we would do was really fucked up. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there was a lot of, yeah. there was a lot of pain, uh, too, in, in, in a lot of the, uh, performances, like, uh, finding humor in, in incredibly painful sure. uh, situations. Yeah. But um, I think to me, that's the funniest stuff, but I guess that's not oh, everybody yeah. is, uh, not everyone is into <laughs> it being dark and, you know, a, a guy from Six Flags, basically, I mean. We didn't say he was a child molester, but that was the bit was that he was. I mean, he definitely was going to molest. I, I we don't know if he was going to molest them when they were alive or if he was going to kill them first. But because that's the best case scenario was that he it would be while they were alive that he kept them yeah. alive in that. In that yeah. But yeah, we liked the dark stuff. We were all of the same mindset. But like, I don't know, some people don't dig the dark humor, don't understand that you can make fun of that stuff. It's interesting because nowadays I don't know what's on and off limits anymore as far as mainstream mm. stuff goes. So like the Johnny Depp, I think SNL this weekend did a Johnny Depp, Amber Hart, uh, Amber Heard uh, sketch. Right. And so you go, is that fair game? And they did one that seemed like fair game, which is interesting because yeah, they did, they did a sketch, but the, the focus of the sketch was more that they discovered dog shit in the bed right like yeah. that they uh it was more about them showing a piece of evidence that was the house staff finding the dog crap in the bed mm. and uh but you know again that's fine because you can justify it by going hey they're not making fun of domestic violence but at the same time sometimes people don't get that even just there could be an article going 
I wouldn't be surprised if there is an article of somebody going, oh, well, you know, it's not domestic. This is a serious matter. Domestic violence is mm -hmm. a serious matter. And if it's if it's off, it's off limits. Yeah, I had a I had a joke where I said, you know, call me old fashioned, but I believe the man should be the abuser in the relationship. <laughs> right. Call right. me old fashioned. Call me old fashioned. Uh, Call me old fashioned. Which, which is playing on like it's it's playing an idiot, like a stereotype yeah. of like my problem with with this is that the man should be. So <laughs> that's what I don't like about it. You know, it's making yeah. it's just having fun with like uh, confident idiot is the character. I think oh, uh, confident, that? yeah. Martin Co Short, I think, said that the confident idiot is the greatest character. It's really what most characters are: is a person who thinks that the, they're the smartest person in the room when they're the dumbest. Yeah. And, and committing to that too. And, and also playing, you know, playing that character to the top of his intelligence, to the top sure, of yeah. the idiot's intelligence is so, uh, so it's important. a delicate balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. delicate balance, man. I, I had so much fun with all that stuff and learning and performing when it's done when sketch. I mean, it's like any, any form of comedy is when it's well-written, when it's done well, it's great. There's nothing better. And when it's mm -hmm. done poorly, there's nothing worse. Just comedy yeah. is, Oof! When it's done poorly, it's it, there's you know, nothing I, more painful. I've been uh, 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 last time I talked to Greg, uh, we were talking about how he's gone back. Oh, it was after um, was it Scott Scott Hall uh, passed away? Uh, the oh, the wrestler. Yes, the yeah, wrestler. What's Scott Hall? Yeah. So Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. Uh, he you know, he passed away, and um, that had um, sort of inspired Greg to go back and watch like. Uh, you know, wrestling clips from you know from that time period of like the NWO and stuff. Sure, and, yeah, and, wrestling and he and he was absolutely loving it because he's like, "Holy shit, they're doing sketch comedy!" Like the like that's yeah. what they're doing. Like 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 they're they're some of the stuff is so ridiculous, but they're committed to it so hard. Oh, sure, and, yeah. And he was just talking about how you know how how great that was. And and for those who you know who don't know this, but you also have. Um, experience as as a an announcer in wrestling too. Right? Yeah, yeah, I so. would do announcing and managing, and I was uh, what we call a heel and a bad guy in the business. And I would I was the guy that I would do a lot of comedy in it too. And and it's the same thing though. It can really be bad if it's not done properly and people don't know what they're doing. But there's nothing greater than having people boo you when you're a bad guy. There, mm -hmm. it's 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 as much adulation as getting laughs like to to the point where people are chanting your name negatively and then when you get kicked off an apron and fall down onto the floor when people cheer like the idea that somebody would get kicked in the face and people <laughs> would cheer <laughs> like a, a person who's not a competitor like imagine any other sport where a non-competitor was just kicked full on in the face and the people go yeah and they all get up yeah. and cheer. Uh, I mean, there's, yeah, comedy in that is so much. I, I was the owner. I was the evil owner of a company I was working for. And I did a fan appreciation night. And I <laughs> said, welcome to fan appreciation night. A night where you, the fans, get to show your appreciation for me, the owner <laughs> of such and such wrestling. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I, yeah, I love doing the comedy in that. I mean, it's, there's nothing better that, dude, there's nothing better than hanging out with funny people it, it, when somebody is funny and they tell an interesting story and it hits and everybody, that's nothing better. It's yeah. so much harder. And it's also the hardest thing to do in the world really to me, uh, because even stand up is hard, right? Like public speaking is the number one fear in the world. It's the number one fear people have not death. Second is death. Public speaking is number one. And then, so that's already the number one fear. And making people laugh is the hardest form of public speaking. Anyone can get up and deliver a speech and have it be uneventful or boring or quiet or dramatic. But making people laugh is the hardest thing. Yeah. And, and, and I have to say to like, um, you know, this conversation right now and also getting, you know, hanging out with you, you know, you know, seeing each other, you know, over the years, whether it's at, you know, like a, a show or, or get together for family stuff and all of that. Uh, there is something about me hanging out with my funny friends, like funny yeah. professional comedy friends that not only is it, you know, just, I mean, just all joy, but also it is sort of that nostalgia trip and, 
transport where I feel like we're, we're back in our twenties, you know, sure. even though, even though we're, we're, we're grown men and, um, uh, someone because who, we're grown men who do silly things. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, what, out of all of our friends, like one, Gregor is one of those guys where anytime I'm in his presence for even a minute, I feel like I'm, like I'm younger again. He, he oh, has he's that a hilarious uh, dude. He's hilarious and Dan Gregor is hilarious. Yeah. And he has that, that vibe about him too, where it's just, you know, yeah, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's another brilliant guy from Hammercats. I mean, that, that was a very loaded group of people who happen to be at the right, like all together at the same time. And a lot of, a lot of them have gone on to really successful career. I think Dan Gregor and Doug Mann are, have, they've been writing for Disney and have the Chippendales movie coming Chippen, out. Yeah, Chippendales movie, which I'm hearing That's really there, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and normally yeah. I wouldn't, you know, no, normally I would just be happy for my friends. Uh, yeah. But I wouldn't, but you know, I'm like, ah, oh, that movie's not necessarily for me. But now that I have kids, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm probably going right. to, you know, definitely going to see this, uh, this movie. Now is your chance to enjoy that. You know, youth uh, comedy keeps you young in a way. Like uh, Donnell Rollins talked about this. He goes, uh, he would do a, a Thanksgiving show every year at his hometown because he goes home for Thanksgiving. So, you know, on like the Friday, he would do this big show. And his friends from high school, all his friends that he grew up with, come out to that show. Oh, and then awesome. one one time he looked at him just recently. He goes, uh, man, look at these old motherfuckers, right? He goes, oh, man, these guys are so old. And he goes, wait a minute. I went to high school with them. I'm the same age. He yeah. goes, what? He goes, oh, man. But Don- Donnell is a, a comedian. Right? right. So he is living in a very young business, a youthful, just hanging out with the most interesting people in the world and still being in life of the party, even in whatever, how old ever old he is, 50 or whatever, that he doesn't think of himself as old mm. until he sees everyone else around him going, oh, man. Right. Because comedy keeps you young. It's a youthful business. And I, I hope that I could do it forever. Jeez. Right on. Well, Harry, my friend, thank you so much for joining me. Where can, um, where can people check out your stuff? Uh, you can find all my social media is at Harry Turjanian, uh, just my name. And uh, yeah, you can find all, there's a lot of YouTube clips. I'm putting stuff on TikTok, uh, Instagram, everything at Harry Turjanian. You can see my stand-up clips there. Uh, check it out. And then uh, I'm going to see if I can try to post the uh, the clips of uh, the gambler. And, you know, oh, yeah. hopefully that'll be out on my social media <laughs> before cool. you. So check and, it out. And, uh, for, the, for those of you, uh, Terjanian is spelled T-E-R-J-A-N-I-A-N. That's Harry right. Terjanian. Yeah. All right, brother. Go. I'm going to sign off now. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at thelouperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join thelouperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code LOU for free shipping. Thank you.